If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you the rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and everything you need is all in one place, and here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup's like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify, with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish a video podcast to Spotify. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. History is full of extraordinary tales of questionable characters, outlaws, heroes, and thought-provoking narratives passed down from generation to generation like grandma's recipes. These real-life stories and exaggerations of fiction have helped shape our culture and created a larger-than-life accounts of legend. Each week, we will uncover fun facts of historical events, interesting places, famous people, and everything in between. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeart, YouTube, or your favorite podcast listening app to listen to the show for free. So grab your sweet tea, your fried green tomatoes, and pull up a chair as we uncover little-known facts of uncommon history. Hello and welcome to Uncommon History. I'm Brian. And I'm Harold. Harold, it's been a couple weeks since we've been down in the basement to... uh, do a podcast. It's been a busy summer. Yep. Yep. And, you know, somebody was asking me the other day when we were going to do a podcast. And I said, well, it's almost too hot to do one right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thankful for this good, cool basement. It's uh, it's real pleasant down here. But yeah, we've, we've, we've been kind of uh, busy. You and I both have. And uh, I want to, I want you to tell Brian, if you don't mind, uh, it's kind of springing this on you, but if you don't mind, uh, tell our listeners what you've been up to and I'm real excited for you and real proud of you and some of the things you've been doing. Uh, Tell us a little bit about other than your work, what you've been doing. Well, thank you. I've written my first book, and I'm actually working on two other books right now. But uh, my first book is just a basic basic Bible study. It's called Understanding the Bible Made Easy. Uh, My wife and I are donating. Of course, I'm the jailer here in, in Boyle County. And for every copy we sell, we're donating a copy to the detention center. And our goal is is to do other de- or donate to other detention centers as well in the state. Wow! So that's kind wow. of our goal. We've been having a real, uh, a really good success with it. A lot of people supporting us. Um, I plan on, um, uh, you know, like I say, I've got two other books coming out. One's another Bible study, and one's re- related to the corrections field. But I've been busy writing books, and I know you've been busy with your car. But I will say this: if anybody's interested in the book, I will put a link in the top of our show notes. And, and they can go if you're right. interested and check the book out. It's on Amazon, uh, you, you know, so and, everything's and safe. If somebody wants to donate to this cause that you're doing so you can distribute more books. Well, what we're doing, do uh, we're too. running, because uh, we did a book signing last Saturday, and there's a lot of people like, hey, well, we couldn't make it. So what we're doing is from, uh, I guess I posted it on Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday until the end of August, and then we'll probably extend it. For anybody that wants to buy a book, um, a, a copy will be donated even if okay. you buy it on Amazon. Okay. So for every book sale we do, we're going to, you know, you buy one, we're going to donate so one. So it's on all the major platforms. Yes, I, I can't put that on Amazon, that if you buy one, we donate one. They, they won't allow me to do that. Right. But if you if you purchase a book between now and the end of August, we're, we're going to donate a copy. Okay. And then we'll probably move that out. But we just kind of moved it because a lot of people could not come to the book signing. 
and they wanted to purchase a book and they wanted one to be donated. So right. well, that is something that was the easiest way for us to do it. Well, good. Well, I'm proud of you. That's a that's a very worthy thing. Uh, you know, uh, it, obviously, it's not about money. It's no. just about getting the the the, the word out. And, and it's about sowing a seed. Sowing a seed and helping people in their, like you said, when sometimes in their lowest times of their life when they're in jail. And, you know, most of these men and women, um, you know, the, now's the best time or a good time as any to reach them. And, sure. you know, a lot of them struggling with mental health issues and addiction. Um, you know, I'm a big champion for that in, in corrections and providing those services right. for those folks. And, and I think, you know, we could see a big difference in our community, people coming sure. out, going to work, you know, being taxpayers. Of course, I've always said if you want to punish somebody, make them a taxpayer. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, but, we, you know, we've had a lot of success, you know, with, you know, the support of the community and other organizations right. that partner with us and at the jail. So. Yeah, well, folks, I'm going to tell you, he's doing a great job just in more, in all kinds of ways in, in the corrections in, the, in our area. Uh, and matter of fact, he's influencing people in other areas on how to do it and how to, you know, uh, just locking people up doesn't work anymore. Uh, we've got to we've got to have a plan for them. We've got to have a, a a way for them to give them an opportunity to have a better life. And uh, while they're there, uh, like I said, it's a, sometimes it's the lowest point of their life, and he's reaching out to them in the best way that he he knows. And, and we're seeing results here in Boyle County for sure. Thank you. Um, well. Uh, you asked me what I was up to. Well, nothing is worthy as what you're doing, unfortunately. <laughs> it really, but, uh, uh, I had one of the neatest experiences in June that I've had in a long time. Uh, I got to go to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and, uh, I got to experience going around the track with the ragtime racers. It's a group of men from all over the United States and they bring these 1920, 20, excuse me, era cars. 1920 and before, uh, to different venues all around the country, and they actually race. Wow. And uh, they, uh, uh, there's a really good YouTube video. It's called Why I Drive, and it's by uh, one of the guys that founded the Ragtime Racers named Brian Blaine. And uh, if anybody wants to go on uh, YouTube and look this up, uh, you will see a really great little short 10-minute video and he explains very well why he does what he does. Now, did you post your pictures on your Facebook page? Uh, I think I did, but if I don't, I can. If you I can, will, I'll and then I'll put them some. on our Uncommon right. History yeah, I can as well. Send you so. some. And uh, what a great experience! Uh, and I went. I got to go around the track in a nineteen ten national, uh, which I think was in the nineteen eleven Indy five hundred and finished seventh. Wow. So, uh, and and uh, going around that track and going between those stands. And just knowing what the history of that great place is, is quite an experience in itself. To, to be in a car of that era that the first Indy 500 was 1911, that was really neat thing to do. And I, it'll, it'll be something I'll always remember and very grateful to them. I actually, when I went up there, did not know that I was going to get to do that. So, so just you just happened to be at the right well, place I, at the I right went time. the right day, and I had already communicated with them message them because you're building one right yeah I'm building you've got a second project stuff, yeah. that type of stuff but nothing that this 1920 or before right See, that's what gets me because i'm 1925 okay or 1930 depending on which car you're talking about so so anyway uh i get i get up there and uh and they asked me if i'd like to ride along as a mechanic and i said you got to be kidding <laughs> of course i would so anyway it's a great you would have paid money me. wouldn't oh yeah you to, know to, to i think most that. people would yeah. yeah no doubt about it but uh 
you want to move on now? Well, one, one, when's, when's your, your new project going to be built, finished? Okay, the new project, uh, the Studebaker was uh, set aside because about a 1925 WH-0, which is actually a fire truck. And I'm building a speedster from this fire truck, and this was done in the day. Some of the companies that made the fire trucks did this. And there's this thing called the Great Race. And uh, in Europe, it was the Paris to Peking race. Yeah. And it was like, you know, 1,800 miles or 2,200 miles or something. And it was an endurance race. It wasn't just about speed. It was about over there, they crossed rivers and gravel roads and dirt roads and all that. In America, the Great Race is, uh, you know, every year it's a different location. And they, they travel, you know, like right. from North Carolina to Austin, Texas or a trip like that. And it's a timed thing and a lot more to it than I know. But uh, hopefully, we are thinking, a friend of mine who's really into this as well, we're thinking about when I get this big speedster done, uh, we may enter it in the great race. Well, here, here's the good news. I had to replace my iPhone. Mm -hmm. So um, I know we tried to shoot some videos, and it, it messed up with my iPhone. So right. I have a new iPhone. So hopefully this summer, right. we'll be able to get some more videos of the progress of what's yeah. going on, what you're building, so people can see it. We'll put those on our Facebook pages, probably YouTube. Yeah, as well. I'll do a. I've got a. I did have the good sense on this one to start from the beginning, and start taking photographs of everything I did. So I've got it from the time I took the, the fire equipment off of it. Now the new engine put in, tear down the engine, all that kind of stuff, and uh, it's just a labor of love, you know. It it, it really is. Uh, and when I retired, I was uh, needing a, something to keep me busy. And, <laughs> and I found it. You're more than busy now. Yeah, I found it. <laughs> All right, so today in Kentucky history, what were Well, we're going to do two days because okay. two is always better than one, isn't it? Yes. But now this is, uh, you know, we tell all kinds of stories about all kinds of people and all kinds of different things, but this one is a little out there. But uh, in July 19th, 1975, Larry Flint, publisher of uh, Hustler Magazine, uh, bought for $18,000 nude pictures of Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis in the when she was sunbathing on vacation <laughs> in 1971. Wow. Now, <laughs> for $18,000 in 1971, I don't know what that's, that's equivalent to today, but still that's a big lot money. of money, yeah. probably $100,000 a day. And he, he, he had this magazine that he'd started, and he's a Kentuckian, by the way. Yeah, northern Kentucky. Yep. So anyway, he started publishing this magazine, and he was struggling. And then he published these photos, which they sold like 2 million copies or over 1 million copies of that one August 1975 issue, yeah. which put him on the uh, infamous, infamous path or famous path, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Uh, July the 20th, 1847, the Kentuckians who fell in the war with Mexico were reburied in Frankfort, Kentucky. And the poem Bivouac of the Dead was read for the first time and written by Danville native Theodore O'Hara. Hmm. Theodore O'Hara was, you know, a very, very famous po uh, poet because of that one poem. He did okay. others, but that was his most famous. And, of course, it's still being used today in Arlington National Cemetery and other military cemeteries all across the country. And in 1862, John Hunt Morgan on this date uh, burned the Dix River Bridge in Lincoln County, Kentucky. And one year later, he was captured almost to the day and sent to Ohio State Penitentiary, in which he eventually escaped and went back to raiding and was eventually killed in Tennessee. Huh. Anyway, I didn't know he burned a bridge there. Yeah, he, uh, he burned the Dix River Bridge, and, and I assume that's on Highway 52 today. 
I do not know for sure. Well, somebody else asked me if I knew this past week if I knew about the was it a B twenty nine that crashed in Lincoln County? Yes, yes, that happened. Okay, and, and I'm like I I don't remember. Don't I know. I don't know about much it. about it, but it did crash, and I had some friends that owned a farm not far from where it crashed. This after World War II. Oh about yeah, the, this the same was time. Like I believe in the 1960s. Probably. Oh okay. Well, I was still before I was born. So. Yeah, they used to fly over a regular pattern. I remember as a child growing up, we lived upon a hill, and you could see those things just constantly in the air. It was part of our air defense system. Okay. I, yeah. I don't, other than that, I don't know. But I remember as a child seeing them flying regularly. Huge plane. Wow. Huge plane. Um, so, all right, so let's get to the our story for tonight. What are we going to cover? Okay, have you ever heard, well, have you heard of Jenny Wiley State Park? I have been there. You know why they call it Jenny Wiley State Park? They probably named it after Jenny Wiley. That's a good, that's a good reason. <laughs> well, what did she do that was different than anybody else? I don't know. Well, uh, this is a story I've been aiming to do, and I, want it, I can't help but when I talk about these pioneer stories, Brian, I think, and, and this one is as evident as anything we'll ever talk about, and that's the toughness. Mentally, physically, in every way that these people were. I don't know if people can endure. I don't know if we could go through what she, I don't know if there's anybody alive today that could have went through what she went through and go on and die of old age. So she went through a horrific, horrific episode. That's all right. Sorry, I didn't know the phone was even in here. Um, she was born in uh, Western Virginia. Her father's name was Hezekiah Sellards. He was a Scotch-Irish Presbyterian uh, background. The Scotch-Irish have been legendary on the frontier as being tough people. Um, they are, uh, I've had one guy that did a lot of research say that they were the, probably the most uh, vicious people on the frontier, that they were... Uh, well, a lot of Scotch-Irish settled in this area. Right. Eastern Kentucky, Central Predominantly Kentucky. Predominantly, that's yeah. where Scotch-Irish. Yeah. Was there any certain reason, or is that just as far west at the time? Or Well, I think that it, it's, a, it's, I think it's a point of migration from Europe to America, and that part of the region, like my family came from the seacoast of Wales, we think, uh, and my mother's family, my dad's on my dad's side, my mother's side came from you know Ireland, and we think that that was just the natural migration of people at that given time that these people descended from. And so this was the early 1700s, late 1600s. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was, they run out of land and opportunity there. And they were, and that's why I know my family was their story. They had, they had just run out of land. You couldn't just go buy land like you can here today. Right. It's a different world. It would take me hours to explain it. And I don't know that if I could totally do that or not, but they came here for opportunity for land, freedom, religious freedom. There's all kinds of different reasons that they came, but this, this natural migration brought these folks here. Um, her father had, had, uh, met up with a guy named Tice Harmon. Now Harmon is a very common name in this yeah. region of central Kentucky. And there's a good reason for that. Cause there were several Harmon brothers and they settled in this area and they have descendants to this day. And matter of fact, someday, uh, uh, we could probably do a, a podcast just on the Harmons and the Harmon station and so forth. But uh, this this bluegrass region of Kentucky was always appealing to white men as well as Indians simply because of the richness of the soil 
uh, the levelness of it, the mm-hmm. abundance of water, good limestone water. There was all kinds of things here. The, the cane breaks, vast cane breaks that covered the land. Um, and they would burn off big sections, the Indians would, and it was called savannas. And then the grass would come back, and the buffalo would come in to eat the grass, and the elk, eastern elk and deer and all. And that would give them good hunting ground. And they'd, they kind of used this like we would a park today. They, it was like a hunting preserve to them. Most wow. of those tribes did not live here. Uh, the tribes were like the Choctaw, Mingo, Delaware, Wyandotte, you know, Shawnee, Cherokee, so forth. So those tribes pretty much sided with the English during the Revolutionary War. Now, the English would trade them trade goods for their loyalty, mm-hmm. and also they got from them knowledge of the land mm-hmm. like nobody else knew and movement of the settlers, and also a fighting force. Mm-hmm. So there were several reasons that the, the British tried to uh, befriend the, uh, the uh, Indian culture at that time. In 1778, we think this was somewhere around, this happened somewhere around 1789, 1780s. We don't know for sure, but somewhere around 1778, Jenny L. Wiley, was 18 years old, and she married a fellow named Thomas Wiley. Uh, Jenny's name was Sellards, S-E-L-L-A-R-D-S. And uh, Wiley was an immigrant from Northern Ireland. So again, you know, we have this, and he had only been in this country for about six months. And he had migrated into Maryland, and, uh, and then he had met this gentleman by the name of Tice Harmon. Um, and there he met Jenny through the Harmons through the and him coming into this part of the country or that eastern Kentucky part of the country. Yeah. He had met Jenny. Uh, they were married uh, and interested, of course, in making a new life for themselves. There was other people that are key to the settlement of not only Kentucky but Tennessee and this whole Cumberland River region that they were uh, uh, around. Uh, people like Casper Mansker, who founded Mansker Station, which is just north of Nashville. Tennessee today, and uh, that was basically pretty much the start of Nashville. Casper hmm. uh, Mansker is pretty well known in, in, in Tennessee as an early pioneer. Also, Michael Stoner, who came into Kentucky with Daniel Boone, uh, was one of these companions. Uh, and the Skaggs brothers, who uh, the singer, I think, Ricky, Ricky Skaggs, yeah. descended from, uh, James and Henry. Now, there's a real interesting story about Henry Skaggs. And it involves my family. Hmm. And uh, in, in a book called The History of the Edwards Family, uh, they mentioned in there that Henry Skaggs visited them in the Barrens region of Kentucky pretty frequently. And he was getting older, but he had been all over the country. He was kind of a mysterious character. We don't know a lot about his family or anything. But anyway, they uh, they always he always brought food when he came. He'd kill a turkey or a bear or a deer or something. Mm-hmm. They said he wasn't a freeloader. He came, but he would always bring food, and they enjoyed his stories. And they said you could tell by looking at him that he was a professional hunter, carried a fine rifle. He you could tell he was a serious yeah he was a serious traveler. Uh, and some years ago, I have a rough map of where he was buried. So one Saturday morning. I told my wife, I said, I want to see if I can drive down that area and see if I can find possibly, I mean, this is just a long shot, but possibly, maybe I could find 
an old cemetery, possibly find his grave. I had a map that was probably got it down to a three or four square mile region, maybe at best. Yeah. So I left home, and this is this is you can't make this stuff up, you know. <laughs> so I leave home, and I follow this map, and I get down there, and there's like three little towns, and it's somewhere in this area, right? Nothing specific. So there's a guy out front of this nice, beautiful farmhouse, and he's mowing his grass or weed eating or something, you know, and I pull up out front of him, and I kind of just want to know if he knew of any old pioneer cemeteries or anything in the area. And yeah. he said, he said, well, if you don't mind me asking, who are you looking for? <laughs> I, said, I said, well, <laughs> you probably never heard of this one, but I said, I'm looking for Henry Skaggs. And he looked at me real hard. And he looked over there, and he said, you see that four-wheeler over there? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, if you get over on that four-wheeler, I said, I'm going to take you on the back of my farm, and I'll show you his grave. Wow. Isn't that a wild story? That is. Did you buy a lottery ticket that same day? I don't know. I should have. <laughs> but anyway, that's my lottery win right yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway, that, that was the most, uh, what, I mean, it was like, golly, that was just meant to be. You yeah. Know? But I can tell you a few stories like that. But anyway, we found his grave. He was a friend of the of this the Wileys and the Harmons and all these people. They were the early adventurers. They was in here as early as 1750s. You know, Boone gets credited for a lot of settlement of Kentucky and the frontier, and he, he deserves everything. All yeah. these people do, but he wasn't the only one. Right. There was others, and they, they're not all documented, trust yeah. me. And yeah. there was probably people we'd never heard of oh, yeah. that were here. Uh, what was Jenny Wiley like? Well, uh, what did she look like? Uh, Brian, what do you think she looked like? Could you? You just don't. Yeah, I don't have any point of reference to. No. Well, she was a large woman. Now that doesn't mean she was heavy. She said she was a large frame woman. Big boned. Big boned was a good word for it. Not beautiful, but perhaps handsome. Uh, had a very magnetic personality. She had a black, cold black hair with a streak of auburn in it. She had a high forehead, heavy brows, and dark, piercing eyes. Tough woman. Strong, expressive face, and they said she had gleaming white teeth, hmm. which was probably pretty rare on the frontier. Oh, yeah. Described as a steady continence-type person. Uh, she loved to weave and garden, and was she was very courageous, obviously, to endure the frontier. She was also described as a very good shot and better than most men. Huh. So she was a serious frontier woman. So Sounds she could like survive. She could take care she of herself. She could survive. She was taught from birth to be aware of her surroundings. She had a very keen eye for she knew she had to know, and, you know, it's not just seeing things, it's listening, mm -hmm. seeing things that uh, the way dogs acted, uh, the way wildlife would get quiet or the way the birds would, you know, there was things that sent signals that there was Indians around in mm -hmm. danger. So in, on the frontier at that time, that was a common thing. You had to be aware of your, what was going on around you. You couldn't just go out and play all garden and, Keep your head down, and you do, you had to be aware of what was going on. At 29 years old, she uh, had never been to school. So she had a, an education, in a sense, but it's not a formal, formal education right. as we know it. Uh, she was, of course, at home in the wilds. Uh, she wasn't afraid of hardships. And uh, her and Thomas, when they married in southwest Virginia, they built a log cabin. It was 20 by 22, had a half story above it, and had a little dog trot to it in a smaller cabin which was the kitchen which was a very common thing the reason they put the kitchen out there away from the rest of the cabin is if it caught fire it wouldn't burn everything down yeah um well in uh you know in the 17 we don't know exactly when this happened 
But the Skaggs brothers and the Harmons, uh, they had been scouting in Kentucky, and they crossed over the big Sandy River region. Uh, and they'd, went, they'd been as far as all the way down the Cumberland River to the Mississippi River. So they were very familiar with central Kentucky and the southwest Kentucky, mm-hmm. northern Tennessee region. Um, they called the Sandy River region a valley of mystery because there's some things about it that might surprise you, and we'll talk about some of them. Uh, and, but in southwest Virginia, they, they created this uh, community, and they had dis- decided as a community and as a group that they would start coming to this promised land, this dark and bloody ground. They, they uh, knew that the land was much better here than where they were, mm-hmm. and they could, it was more readily available. But the only thing was the danger. Yeah. Okay. Now, again, a war was going on, so it wasn't just like normal problems. This was uh, planned and plotted by the British. Uh, Thomas was described as a uh, sparkling-eyed Irishman, good humor, a jokester, a riddler. He loved to play tricks on his family, probably the life of the party. And he was a shoemaker when he wasn't farming or doing something else. Um, He was quite the fiddler as well. (laughs) He entertained the family and neighbors. Uh, he had a, they said his favorite song was Green Sleeves. Uh, you ever heard of that? No. It's no Irish song. I know it is. I've heard of it. Um, now, there was a, a story that led up to this, that uh, I, and I can't get into a lot of detail because we'll run out of time if we get into too much detail, but the Harmons, along with a fellow named George Draper, and they had been on a hunting trip. And the, oh, the, the father of this Harmon group was an jo- elder named George Harmon. And uh, they'd went out on a hunting trip. And they had uh, encountered some Indians. Uh, they had left George at the camp, the way I remember the story. The other Harmons and Draper had been out uh, hunting buffalo or, or bear or whatever. And there was this... Shawnee chief named Dull Knife, who had, and his son, uh, I think they called him Little Black Bear, who had came upon this camp and saw him there by himself. And this Dull Knife was one of the more cruel Shawnee chiefs uh, from, from the description of, in this story. And he had trained his son how to kill, and he, that was his opportunity for his son to kill his first white man. Mm-hmm. So make a long story short, they attacked George Harmon. They shot him with an arrow. A uh, little black bear did. Uh, he was intended on scalping. Uh, Harmon shot him right between the eyes and killed him. Mm. Um, he uh, fought off some other Indians. And this dull knife was bent on revenge. So here's the problem for the Wileys, which had nothing to do with that. October the 1st of that year, uh, the, 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 the Wiley had dug ginseng to take to sell and exchange for you know you could barter ginseng for uh salt coffee mm-hmm. other goods you needed fled powder cloth whatever you needed on the frontier so he had set out to go to the nearest settlement to barter this ginseng that they dug all summer and dried in, to take in the fall to sell so he had left his wife and her children. Now, I'm not sure how many children she had, but she had her brother with her. And uh, a late thunderstorm came up that night. Uh, the storm was pretty pretty intense for a while. Her brother-in-law 
John Borders had came to the cabin, realized she was there by herself, pretty much her brother, who was maybe a younger guy, I don't, they didn't really give his age, was there with her. And I don't, she had two or three children. And the uh, he, had, he had seen Indian sign. Mm-hmm. He had been out. He was concerned. He had heard, heard too many hoot owls and heard too many calls and so forth. And he encouraged her to try to come to his place some few miles away. Uh, she just said, no, she'd be okay. She didn't really want to go. So as dark descended on it, she decided, well, maybe she should go. So, and that was her sister, by the way. It was her sister. It's her brother-in-law. Okay. Um, she opened the cabin door, and she the dogs were missing. Now, dogs were important in mm-hmm. pioneer times, Brian, because they weren't just there for pets. Right. They warned you of Indians. They helped you hunt. They retrieved things. Dogs were really smart. They had senses of smell and things that we don't have. And the dogs were missing. And she knew she was in trouble. So she shut the door, and she was concerned. She bolted the door. The doors had a big beam they put across them. Well, it, it, when that storm subsided a little bit, all of a sudden there was this huge explosion on the door. There was Indians hit it with a big log and just busted the whole thing in off the hinges and everything. They busted in the, the cabin. They killed her half-brother instantly. Mm. They killed uh, the children. Uh, there was a little infant baby there, and she, uh, the baby was uh, spared for the t- at the time. They scalped the, the children and the, the mm. guy right in front of them. Um, it was over in like 30 seconds. I mean, it was just over in no time. Um, and they held the baby up by its heels and threatened to bash its head in. And there was this big Cherokee there. Now, there was Cherokee and Shawnees there, the way I understand it. They were, they were, they were a warring party together. And this Cherokee named Big Jim stopped it at the time. He said, no, no, Did some, for some reason, he stopped it. Well, the Indians pillaged the cabin, and they noticed a loom and all this bright-colored cloth. Now, Brian, this is liable to say, this is, my opinion, what saved her life. Hmm. And the Indians liked bright colors. They liked clothing. They liked to dress up. Uh, I think if we saw uh, the Native American culture in their, uh, the way they looked, mm-hmm. I think we would be surprised. The problem that we have with, the image that we have of Indian for most of us is, if we study history somewhat, is the Western Apache. Yeah, and, just a buckskin. Yeah, well, and, and and the Eastern Indian, I think, was a pretty magnificent-looking creature. I think they were, I think they were totally different. Uh, and all the descriptions I've ever heard of them were that they were amazing to look at, hmm. you know, and decorated and dressed themselves. Uh, it, it's, well, when you said there was a Cherokee there, I thought for sure you was going to say it was Chief Big Feather. No, he's he was. Uh, uh, he was back at the camp. I think he was having. A, <laughs> I think they were having watermelon that okay. night or something. All right. He didn't get out of camp much. What I <laughs> but anyway, so she. I think this her being able to weave, and they're smart enough, and they, you know, they said this woman. We she has some value, so they could take her back and make her a slave. Yeah. So that's what they did. Uh, she was taken out in the pouring rain. She was tied around the waist and the neck with a leather strap, mm-hmm. whatever, rope, whatever. She carried her baby and she was wearing, you know, you know how women back then wore petticoats mm-hmm. and dresses and all that. And it got sopping wet and heavy and she was carrying her newborn baby. 
mm. trying to keep him alive. She received absolutely no aid or sympathy, none whatsoever. Uh, they drug her along. She fell. They drug her. Uh, she was also a few months pregnant. Wow. And uh, you just can't imagine the suffering this woman went through. Uh, she had been bartered by the Shawnee and was going to be taken to Old Chillicothe. Uh, this was an Indian town, a uh, huge Indian town. Uh, and she was going to be a slave. You know, she was going to plant. She was going to till. She was going to weave. She was going to harvest, cook. Uh, she was going to make clothes for the Indians. She was going to teach the others how to make clothes. That's what they were going to do with her. That's why they didn't just kill her. Yeah. Now, there was always a threat of torture uh, as it was amusement for the Indians. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where this story starts to really get, uh, it kind of bothered me when I read a lot of it. And some of it, I really don't want to tell it even in the podcast. Yeah. But... Uh, her only hope that she had in life was to escape. That was her only hope. That's the only thing that she had, you might say, to look forward to was the opportunity at some point that she could get away. But the chances of her making it as on her own uh, was not good. Right. Okay, and there was chances that she would be uh, caught up with. Uh, she was given a modest amount of food on this trip. At one point, her child was getting sick, and an Indian named Black Wolf uh, went into the woods. He dug up some roots, boiled them, and gave the baby a few spoons until he got better. Huh. So there was some compassion on his part for yeah. Sadly, a few days later, this dull knife, uh, in a fit of rage, he grabbed the baby, threw the baby in the air against the tree, and killed it. Mm. So she lost, she had no living children at this point. Uh, she was dragged into the rain in a swollen river. Uh, she almost drowned. Uh, at one point, she saw uh, white men hunters at a distance, and one she maybe thought was her husband. She couldn't tell, uh, but she dared not make a sound because they would have killed her instantly. Yeah. They would have tomahawked her in the head if she'd said a word. Uh, she was put to work uh, gathering wood, doing camp chores, and told if she was tried to escape, she would die. They would kill her. Uh, then she talked about an interesting place, and and. Uh, she talked about going through a place called Painted Licks. Now, this is real interesting. You'll find this interesting. I've never heard this before until I read this book. She talked about paintings the Indians did on trees, and she said they would strip the bark off a big sycamore tree, and they would paint uh, visions of their life, of things that was common in their life, hunting, birds, buffalo, Indians, huh. uh, you know, they would, and they painted many dead trees in this area, and uh, they and that's that's where we get the town of Paintsville, Kentucky. That's where that name comes from. Okay. And I did not. You ever heard that story before? I didn't. I, I never didn't, knew why that it. You know. But that's where the name came from for Paintsville, Kentucky, was because in that that area, the Indians used that as a cultural art center. Maybe. Wow. Did you? I've uh, never heard that uh, before. No, no, that's a new one on me. Uh, as she traveled, the Indians kept talking about Ohio. And it was pronounced like that, Ohio. We pronounce it Ohio, obviously. It's, it's, but that's where Chillicothe was. Okay. That's what Chillicothe, yeah. Ohio is today. She was allowed to give birth in a cave along the way uh, to Chillicothe. There was a, uh, she was, she was, 
they found this cave on their way, and evidently these Indians had been there before. They stayed there, and they gave her her little cave to herself. There was a little cavern. They put a buffalo robe down and handed her a knife and walked off and left her. Mm. And she labored for several hours, and she gave birth, and she was able to cut the cord and, mm-hmm. and save the child, and the child lived. Uh, she was given some uh, dried meat uh, to eat, and uh, and again she uh, she 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 was sick for about two weeks. This Indian named Black Wolf went into the woods again, gathered roots and medicine, and boiled it and gave it to her, and she said it helped her immediately. Huh. He, you know, wonder what that was. Yeah, wonder what that was. Uh, at about midnight, she gave birth, uh, and it took about two weeks, like I said, to get her strength back. Uh, with that depression set in, um, she, uh, she had suffered so much and done without and trying to keep this little baby alive. Uh, she fed, breastfed it. Uh, she, they had nothing to eat. There was nothing else to give it. Uh, you know, she was, she was pretty much depleted herself. Mm-hmm. So, um, she had, she had a hard time at this point with, with just making it through a day. Oh, can I, you know, um, then the real cruelty of this, again, this is one of the most cruel stories I've ever read. The baby lived for a while, and then just one day out of the blue, this this one Indian just grabbed the baby up. Maybe it was crying or something it didn't say, and, and they put it on a raft and put it out in the middle of a creek, a small stream. And it was laying on the stream, you know, a raft, and it was flailing away and and crying and and they just played with it for a while on this raft, and then they pulled the raft in and just grabbed the baby up and bashed its head against a boulder and killed it. Mm. You know, and she witnessed a death of yet her, her other child. But she was allowed to bury the body, which was I thought was unusual. Yeah. Uh, she suffered for weeks with keeping her sanity. Uh, she, she was in shock at times. Uh, she was in constant fear. Uh, she had no companionship at all. Uh, she couldn't speak to any, none of them spoke English. She didn't know what they were saying. She didn't know what the next day would bring. Uh, all she had to do was worry about she'd survive from minute to minute, right. basically. Yeah. See, she witnessed the, one of the most cruel things is there was a white captive young man brought into the camp, and she witnessed the torture and death of him. And and I, I, I won't even tell you all the things that they did to this guy. Uh, they would burn. It, it was unbelievable. Peel his skin off of him, chop his legs off while he was still mm. alive. Uh, his screams, she said, uh, would stay with her her whole life. That the the things now, again, Brian. Most people in our culture today would probably broke down and mm. lost it. Yeah, and I probably would have. I'm yeah. not going to say I could have endured any of this. She eventually found an opportunity to escape, and I won't get into all the details because it would take too long. But she she did make her escape. Uh, she tried a couple times, I think, and she got she didn't get. But anyway, this time she made it, and she got away. And a dang dog followed her, <laughs> <laughs> and she got she hid in this log, and she could hear the Indians. She, they were so close to her that, that she could hear them talking, but they never found her. And this dog had followed, tried to follow her into this. And so anyway, she was very fortunate, but she, right across the river, she saw a blockhouse, 
And uh, she finally, when the Indians got away far enough, she kept calling out to this blockhouse, and they finally heard her, and they came and rescued her. Wow. And there's a lot more to the story than, than that, but... Uh, you anyway. know, this would make a great movie. Oh, uh, what you are know, you talking it, it about? Would be. It, would, it would be an unbelievable story, and I don't know why. Maybe it's been done, I don't know. But there are similar stories. Sometimes we see movies that we hear of these things, and they may have gotten the idea or the story From it, right. without following it all the way through. Uh, the aftermath of it, Tom Wiley lived to be in his 50s. He died in 1810, uh, her husband. He was known as a man of integrity and courage and knowledge. Uh, Jenny lived to be 71 years old. Uh, she had more children after this event, believe it or not. She died in 1831. Her grave is alongside her husband's in the town of Paintsville, Kentucky. Uh, the great sycamore tree where Gerald Knife killed her baby, her the first baby, yeah. uh, survived until 1850, and it was called Jenny's Tree. Wow. And it was on a little stream uh, by it, uh, and it's called Jenny's Creek. Hmm. Uh, and today we have the Jenny Wiley State Park, which is named in her honor. Uh, yeah. The park is 2,871 acres. It has an 1,100-acre lake. Uh, it has a theater, a mountain resort, has 13 miles of hiking trails, a 154-mile Jenny Wiley trail loop through eastern Kentucky, which is a driving tour. Uh, at the park, there's an 18-hole golf course. It has a 49-room lodge and many meeting rooms, campgrounds, and they have regular music events there. And that's near Prestonsburg, Kentucky, and it was started in 1954. Amazing. You think that Jenny would be amazed today if she knew that there I, was I, a I, state park? And I think she would just be in utter awe. Just, oh, you know, just would not be able to fathom something like this being right. named after. Plug, uh, plug that back in. So, um, don't forget. Hey, that's our podcast. We're going to wrap it up. So don't forget. Uh, we're on so our social media: Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. You can follow us. Also, Harold, real quick before we sign off, what uh, what's some other upcoming podcasts are we thinking about doing? And okay, uh, we I'm going to reach out, and I don't know because I don't have a phone number or anything. But if uh, by chance, Brian Blaine, if you're listening uh, to uh, Ragtime Racers, I'm going to try to get a hold of you and have you as one of our guests if you would like to do that. Uh, and I hate to spring it on you over the air, but uh, if you're if you're available, we'd love to have you talk about Ragtime Racers. I will be going to the Chattanooga Motor Festival in October, where the Ragtime Racers will be. Okay. Um, and uh, if anybody's interested in that stuff, I highly recommend that you come. Um, it is the second week of October, and uh, there's also an event that I'm going to do in November, and it's it's a race in Savannah, Georgia. And believe it or not, Brian, they actually had races there in the early 1900s, like 1906 or something. Really? They had a, like a, a street race, like a European uh, uh, race in Savannah, Georgia. Wow, that's amazing. For a few years. So they're going to reenact that probably for the first time. So we're going to try to do that. I may take my car there. Uh, I don't know the uh, time restrictions on them, but we'll find out. But a lot of exciting things going on this summer, and we're going to try to pick up the pace on our podcast. And, and then also, do you want to share about what's what you've been doing in Paraville with the, the? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, uh, Main Street Paraville, uh, they've had a fundraiser for some time, which I volunteered for, and it's the Ghost Walks. And once a month, we do a Ghost Walk, 
and it's usually on a Friday night, and uh, it's like ten dollars or fifteen dollars. I think is the next one we're gonna we're gonna we've had real good response. We've had overwhelming response actually, and actually the last one I did we had a a a, a, a visitor that took some really neat photographs of what we think was a ghost through a window. Hmm. So we've had some, a good response with that. And, uh, and where can they go to find more information uh, on that? Go to Main Street Parable. Uh, MainStreetParable.com or something? On Facebook. Or Facebook, okay. Or you can go uh, uh, Main Street Parable. Uh, I don't know their website. I'm sorry. I don't even have one, but I think they do. Well, you can find it on Facebook. Yes, you can find it on page. Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it's about an hour, hour, 15-minute walk. And we get to go in some houses, and we tell a lot of good stories, and we've had a lot of good experiences. And then uh, October, the battlefield. Yes, 160th anniversary, the Battle of Parable will be in October. Uh, it's the first weekend in October. And uh, I will be there with some antique stuff downtown. And then maybe, um, I don't know, you think you'd have time maybe if some people wanted to meet and uh, oh, on the battlefield or talk about the battlefield? Do you think we could do something like that? Sure, sure. Sure, we might do a we might do a live tour and video or something. Okay, yeah. So if you want to reach yeah. out to and us on our Facebook page and say, hey, I'd be interested in the battlefield or the Main Street Parable and or the ghost tours. Yeah, the ghost yeah, tours. Ghost tours are really popular right now. So you know we have we we've been called the most haunted little town in, in Kentucky. <laughs> so it's a good reason for that, you know. We had a lot of stuff happen. I've never seen anything. And it started in pioneer times all the way up. It's not all just about the Civil War, folks. Right. If you if you're interested in other time frames we we cover it all yeah all right uh, uncommon history is created and produced by harold edwards and brian wolfman